Acts chapter 18, verse 12. And, and so last week we talked about the providential grace of God during our seasons of discouragement. How when we get discouraged, uh, there will be moments where we try to put away, but yet still the grace of God is reaching us in those areas and encouraging us as the Apostle Paul himself needed encouragement. So now we get to the part where um, it's following up from that. And in verse 12, it says, But when Galileo uh, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Verse 17. And they all seized Sostenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuria he had cut his hair, and for for he was under a vow, in verse 19, and they came to Ephesus and left him there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And look at what he did. He strengthened all the disciples. Now, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace.
grace had believed, for the for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. That the Christ was Jesus. Amen to that. I mean, that's you're you're beginning to see like the movement of, of the spirit. You're beginning to see everything taking place here, and it's just mind-blowing how from, you know, from Paul, and then you see, uh, you know, Aquila and Priscilla, the way God was using them, and then we get to Apollos, and, and so you're seeing the story here in the book of Acts, and be reminded that Acts is, is a historical book. When we're looking at it, this is what's taking place in history. In the early church, where the, the power of God was being displayed in areas that normally would have not even been talking about anything that had to do with Jesus. And so this is a hostile land that they were in. Now, before I get into the text, I, I want to raise up a few things. Yesterday I had received a, a text, and on this text it said, and I read from you to you, uh, and as I read the text, this is a uh, my brother-in-law who, uh, by the grace of God, we've been seeing the Lord, you know, working in him, and so he shoots me this text and he says, you know, bro, have you stopped and thought how many times in one day the devil feeds you lies? Stop for a moment, right? You stop and think, just in one day, how many times does the devil feed you lies? And, I, and he followed up by the example of what was going on presently in his situation. But I saw how he was learning to distinguish between the, the, the voice of truth and the voice of the enemy. And that I was encouraged by that. But in reality, how many times have we believed the enemy's lies and have allowed those lies to inform our thinking? And that begins to shape what we believe about God at the moment. Because when we're in here, we're worshiping about God. But when we're out there, we seem to forget what we worship about, right? And so what I want to look through is, is, is the same lenses as we're approaching the text because be reminded that the Apostle Paul in the previous verses, he was struggling and God provided a vision for him and through this vision, he provided key promises for him. These promises that would help him endure during difficult situations. Now, we usually allow our present circumstances to inform what is true instead of the scriptures. Instead of the promises of God. What we end up doing is that we walk by sight and not by faith. 
But it's supposed to be you walk by faith and not by what you see. And so keep that in mind as we're going through the text and, and seeing the scriptures through those lenses. And so what we're going to be looking at uh, in the different stages of what takes place is how us as followers of Jesus we can trust and rely on the promises of God and how that flows into our everyday lives. So we're going to look at how the providential grace of God working in the life of the Apostle Paul worked out in this first part of the passage. So be reminded, last week we talked about the promises of God. And some of those promises were that I will be with you and I will protect you. And then he says, for this reason, you cannot stay silent because I have many people in the city that are mine. So look at the verse in verse 10. It says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. So there's still much work to do. The Apostle Paul knows this. Many people who God is going to say still are in this city. And this is Corinth where they're at. Be reminded that Corinth was a broken up place. I'm talking about it was jacked up. All kind of brokenness everywhere. And they were hostile to the things of God. And yet God is telling them, I need you to still stay here a little bit longer because I have people in this city that still need to hear about me and I have chosen you as that instrument. And so what we see here that Paul will be the instrument that God will use to proclaim the truth about who God is seeing God's mission here to rescue and restore broken lives through Jesus Christ. Now, as we're having that in mind, now we get into this part of the text. We see then that right after that, verse 11 says, he stayed there for how long? One year and six months. The way that Paul responded then is that he still stayed there and continued to disciple the people that had came to the Lord. And through that, God was going to move and God was going to reach more people. But the emphasis that I want to make is that he stood there for a year and a half. This is what we see as a long-term commitment to disciple-making. This is what we're looking at, that it wasn't just a drive-through type of missions. This is the kind of missions that I'm digging my roots and I'm getting to know the people. This is where it's no longer superficial type of relationships because I'm getting to know just how broken you are. I'm getting to see all the luggage that you come along with, and you're going to see the luggage that I come along with. We're not going to have that kind of time where we get to put on a mask and take it off, because sooner or later, you're going to forget to put it on. 
each other in those moments of brokenness. But what will we do in those moments of brokenness? Will we still embrace them as a brother or sister in the Lord, or will we turn our backs on them? And so what we see is long-term commitment, sacrificial commitment to see the grace of God working in your brothers and in your sisters. And at the same time, God is working in you because you might be impatient with the spiritual growth of another. You're like, oh, Lord, couldn't they get it by now? Right? Like, Lord, I, you know, it's, it's been this long, but yet God is working in you to trust in him because it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that is at work in, the, in that individual. It is not me. It is the Spirit of God in them. And so what we're seeing then, that it, it's a long-term commitment a willing to walk with people in the ups and downs of life. A willingness to learn their story. A willingness to be open and share your story. In Philippians, Paul talks about putting the interest of others before your own. Let me ask you for a moment. How difficult is that for us to put the interests of others before your own? He says, have the same mind that Christ had. Jesus did that, put the interests of others before his own. And so it's following in what Jesus had already laid for us. So it's putting the interests of others. So if we're really concerned for the people around us to be growing in the Lord, then you and I need to then pray for them, pursue them, pour into them, create time them to invite them in. And I'm telling you, relationships are messy. There's a book that one time we were reading through, and this author said that relationships are messy, but it's a work, it's a mess worth making. Like, man. Yeah, it comes along with hurt. It comes along with failures. It comes along with all kinds of stuff, but yet it's a long-term commitment. It is a lifestyle of discipleship. It is a willing to put up with all the mess and continue to point people to Jesus because in that, God is showing you your own heart. You need to grow too. Just like I need to grow too. All of us need from the Lord. And so, the Apostle Paul stood around for another year and a half, teaching the Word of God. Teaching the Word of God. Because it is the truth of God that begins to transform the man of God. Amen. Right? It is not other, other issues. It is the truth of the, the Word of God. It is the Bible. And so, I myself need the scripture. So, so am I going to the word of God to be transformed by God? Or am I going to the opinion of others? Or am I allowing the world to inform me? Or is it the word of God? The apostle Paul stayed around for a year and a half and he was teaching the scripture. Can you imagine the apostle Paul leading the Bible study? Right? 
Like, man, you're like zoned in. What else do you have to say about Jesus, right? But we have the scriptures here in front of us. It should be that same kind of excitement. Because now the Spirit of God is teaching us here. When we're getting into the Word of God and the Spirit of God is, is just digging into our hearts and is showing us more about ourselves. The Word of God being essential then in discipleship. And so we get now to verse 12. Be reminded, the Apostle Paul is doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He's discipling people. He's pouring into people. He's sacrificing for people. But look at what happens next. All of a sudden, a group of people, it says they were united together to attack on Paul. And they brought him before a court. They were falsely accusing the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine from one moment to the other, now all of a sudden all, all kind of people are against you, falsely accusing you. You're doing everything right. What happens to the promises of God here? I mean, God said he was going to protect me, he was going to be with me, then why are all these people against me? Why all of a sudden is everything going wrong? Everyone now conspired against the Apostle Paul. It says they, they united together to attack him. Not to sit down and talk with him. To attack him. Have you ever been attacked before? Been falsely accused by something and, 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 and they ju you just feel like they're attacking you and, and they're putting you in the corner? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul here? And then he gets, bit, he gets put before, before like you would say, a judge. And all of a sudden, he's being accused. And at that very moment, what do you think is going through his mind? What do you think he's feeling? I mean, what do you think we would be going through? What do you think you and I would be feeling at that moment? Like, Lord, I've been doing all of this for you, and this is the way you repay me. Ministry was growing, everything was going good, and all of a sudden now I'm being put out here and I'm being attacked. Our Christian walk's not going to be a safe walk. That's right. A lot of times we think that becoming a, a follower of Jesus is going to be peaches and cream, everything's going to be nice, God is going to answer every prayer, and, and all of this. Imagine that. If God answered all of your prayers, I think this world become corrupt. Because our hearts are jacked up and they're broken. To delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of times we say, well, Lord, give me the desires of my heart. Well, you ain't even been delighting in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so when we think about that, we think where, where our heart's at in this. And in those moments where it's like everything is turning against us, all of a sudden, you feel like your back is against the wall? What would you think about God at that moment? What would you think about the promises that he made? Lord, I've been serving you. I've been serving you. And all of a sudden, everything stopped. And easily, we allow our circumstances 
to inform our thinking. Easily, we begin to believe the lies of the enemy. God is not with you. God will not protect you. God is not for you. You think God really cares about your prayers? I mean, you go to church and you go to Bible study and this is how God repays you? Am I the only one that's ever heard stuff like that before? Like seriously, we get in those moments when all of a sudden our hearts are weighed down with distress. Why? Because we've been believing the lies. And I'm telling you, we fall victim to that every day. And we act out of that in rage and anger and frustration. And all of a sudden, you're, you're holding in and, and the root of bitterness begins to bear all kinds of nasty fruit. Why? Because we've been believing the lie that, Lord, you promised, but look at what I'm seeing in front of me. Our circumstances, whether good or bad, do not nullify the, the promises of God. Amen. The promise of God still stands true. Whether it's dark or white, whether it's clear, it doesn't matter. The promises of God are true. He who spoke never will break his promises. And I thank God that he's not like us. Because we break our promises all the time. Lord, I'm going to serve you. All of a sudden, the bad season come around, and all of a sudden, we want to quit on him. Oh, Lord, you don't know how they dealt with me. Don't be reminded how they deal with his son at the cross. And I'm telling you, we belittle the gospel and its power in those moments. We flee and try to take cover in our own kind of understanding. And scripture says, lean not on your own understanding. But that's the very first thing we try to do. We try to make sense out of everything going on. But the promise of God continued to guide the Apostle Paul during this difficult season. It is the providential grace of God working through the situation. Because look at what happens next, right after that. It says that as they were doing that, they were accusing him. And in verse 14, it says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth. I mean, Paul didn't even say that. He was fixing to open his mouth and, 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 and give his own account. Look at what happens next. Galileo said to the Jews, if, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions and about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judged of these things. And he drove them out. Do you see what just took place? What the enemy intended for evil, God turned it around for good, for the greater good to advance the gospel. Because in this very moment, this court decision that took place was important. This is in a hostile land, and yet the grace of God and the power of God were working through the judicial system. You could be waiting for this 
glorious, miraculous deliverance from God from heaven or even in the ground like this took place. God works through all kinds of areas in life. And what we saw here is that the promises of God that, that were spoken to the Apostle Paul were that vehicle that continued to guide him through. Even in this difficult situation, the Lord said, I will be with you and I will protect you. And it became evident in this very moment that God was with him and God was protecting him. So it didn't matter if his circumstances were saying something different. What is the promise of God saying to me right now? What is the promise of God saying to me right now? I love the way he captured, the Apostle Paul captures this in, in Romans chapter 4. And I read to you Romans 4 verse 20. And this is in regards to Abraham. He says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Amen. Do you follow with me what the text is saying? That God is able to do what he promised. And a lot of times we think that God is not able to do what he promised. That is why we retreat. That is why we flee. But as scripture said, the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. We don't have to flee. Family, you and I do not have to flee. For we serve a mighty God. Anchor yourself in the ground when the storms of life are hitting you. Because you stand upon the promises of God. God is truth. In him there is no shadow of lies. We stand in him and what he has promised. Clinging to his promises. And the text says that he grew strong in his faith. And that's what begins to happen. Not because his faith in faith made him strong. But the object of his faith made him strong. And that object of his faith was God. So be reminded, it's not about you and I mustering up more strength. I'm going to stand up against him now and this and that. No, 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 no. Hold on. That was going to have a field day with you. You stand upon the Lord, upon his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness. I'm telling you, so many times we try to contend with what's going on in our own strength. But a man does not stand much stronger than when he is on his knees. Crying out to God. Lord, I need you. I need you. I, everything's going in different directions. Lord, but this is where I need to be. I need you, O oh Lord, to be so that we can be strengthened in our faith in God and his promises for us. Because I'm telling you, the enemy will immediately try to present for us escapes. He would try to say, you can figure it out on your own. 
But imagine if the Apostle Paul at this part of the text, if he would have gone in a different direction. If he would have allowed his anger to take control of him and say, well, I'm going to defend my cause. He didn't do that. He was fixing to speak, and all of a sudden, the other guy stepped in and started saying, all right, Lord, you're taking care of it. Imagine if we, uh, if we learn to be still more and allow God to do the work. Imagine that. I mean, Moses encountered that with, with all the Israelites as they got to the Red Sea and they're like, oh man, what are we going to do? <laughs> Did you not forget how the Lord just delivered you back there? But we're just like them, man. Seriously, the Lord just came through for you a week ago, and all of a sudden, there you go again, allowing your circumstances to tell you what is true. <clears throat> it needs to be the scriptures, the word of God needs to inform your thinking. It's the scriptures. And so now we get to the next part of what's taking place with the Apostle Paul. So now we get to the point in verse 18. And after this, after all of this had taken place, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria with him, Priscilla and Achilla. Man, this is beautiful because notice Priscilla and Achilla, by the providence of God, came into the life with, with, with the Apostle Paul and then they stayed with the Apostle Paul all that time, that year and a half. And they're, Getting into the Word of God, the Apostle Paul also lived with them, worked with them. Can you imagine how sharp these guys probably were, right? They're just in, in, in that shadow, learning from the Apostle Paul. And now we see here, they're not only learning from the Apostle Paul, but they're traveling with him on the missionary journey. And so this is as the second missionary journey is coming to an end. Priscilla and Aquila going with them. A, a beautiful time of discipleship with them. And now they get to Centuria. And now it says that he had to cut his hair for he was under a vow. More than likely, this was a Nazarene vow. And the Nazarene vow is that you grew your hair. And finally, when you get to that place, you would offer your hair. When you would cut it off, you would offer it as a form of thanksgiving. And now this is again a reminder to us that Paul was freed by the gospel. So his practice of these Jewish laws was no longer to try to gain righteousness because his righteousness was found in Jesus Christ. But it shows Paul's heart still to his Jewish customs and to his Jewish people. Now we get to the next part where it says, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, and he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. Again, his heart for the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer, he said he couldn't. It says, now verse 21, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. Again, trusting in the sovereignty of God. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Now, the, the language that is used here. It's more than likely that church that he went to go meet, uh, you know, greet was the church in Jerusalem. So the language says that he went up to this church and then he went down to Antioch. When you see in the scriptures, 
a lot of the times they're referring to Jerusalem, like going up to Jerusalem and coming down from Jerusalem. So more than likely, the Apostle Paul had visited the church in Jerusalem, but look at where he ends up at the final part of the mission trip in Antioch. Antioch was the place where it first started. Antioch was the sending church. This was the sending church. And so Paul would end up back in that sending church. Now, what we understand from the Apostle Paul through this is that the Apostle Paul was not a Lone Ranger missionary. He was not an isolated missionary. He served along the church. Paul was still accountable. Mm. A lot of times we find the Lone Ranger type of hero, people that try to do things on their own apart from the church. The Apostle Paul himself, in the earlier chapters, it is Antioch that sends him out. And guess where he comes back to? The church in Antioch. Why? Because again, he was given account of everything that takes place through that missionary journey. Now, we get to the part in the text where it says in verse 23 after spending some time there what did he do he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia now we pause for a moment look at Paul's heart he goes out into these regions but this is showing you the heart of the apostle Paul for the gospel for the churches, and that they will be strengthened in the Lord. So, not only was the salvation of people important, but their sanctification was equally important. They want, he wanted them to be growing in the Lord. So, the, the, very last, the very last part of this verse is that he went through strengthening all the disciples. Paul's evangelistic zeal and a passion for spiritual growth. We see this here in the text. And in the same way, you and I must carry the same kind of heart. Now, let me read to you what it says in, in, uh, in chapter 14 of Acts. It says this, and again, speaking about the Apostle Paul, and he says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And verse 22 says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. So the Apostle Paul, a pattern that he had is that he would go back to the cities where he would plant churches and he would strengthen the disciples. The text says he would strengthen the souls of the disciples. I love that. He had a heart for spiritual growth. He wanted people to, to thrive in the faith. And he sees this here that he's encouraging them to continue in the faith. I wonder why we need to be encouraged to continue in the faith. I wonder why. How many times have you and I, you don't got to raise your hands, have felt like quitting? How many times have you felt like quitting? When things get tough. We usually want to throw in the towel. All oh, this Jesus stuff is not working for me. Really? All oh, this Christianity stuff is not working for me. 
How many times do we not get to those places? There's plenty of times in our walk where we get to those seasons where it's like we feel like we're only in the time. And that's why the Apostle Paul will go back and he will strengthen them to continue in the faith, to persevere in the faith, to continue to press on and not give up, to continue looking to Jesus and not their circumstances, to continue to cling on to the promises of God. Our Christian walk is not easy, amen? Or is it? It's not. Can you imagine that? We should worship the Lord our God only. But our worship usually goes in different directions, right? The Lord says, no, worship me alone. But God, this way, but no, no, no. Worship me alone. And so the Apostle Paul will go back to strengthen them so that they can continue in the faith. Now, what I want to look at is the text also says this, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Many tribulations. So you and I will encounter difficult seasons. It's not always going to be a, a, a nice season where there, there's no brokenness, there's no suffering, like our kids are being fully obedient every day, right? That would be awesome. But the reality is that our kids will not. And the reality is that neither are you. The Lord says to, to serve him, to worship him, but we complain and murmur a lot. And so we're reminded through much tribulation, through much suffering, but yet Paul continued to encourage them. Paul himself needed to be encouraged, and Paul himself was encouraging other people. So my question to you is, who's encouraging you today? Who is discipling you today? Who are you allowing to pour into your life today? This is an important dynamic to our Christian walk. Life on life discipleship. People hear truth, but people also need to see that truth in your life. And so what we see then the Apostle Paul was doing that. Now we get to the last part of the text, which is in verse 24 through 28. And this is where we're introduced to Apollos. Now Apollos was a native from Alexandria. Alexandria, this city was known for, it, it, it was like an intellectual place. It had a huge library there where a lot of known philosophers came from there. It was a home to a lot of known philosophers. And so this was a, a place where, where uh, you know, all kind of thinkers would come there and stuff. But, but not only that, it is also a place where the Alexandrian community also uh, wrote the Old Testament in Greek. They translated it into Greek. So when we're looking at this part of the text, now we're seeing Apollos, the native from there, and he came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So look at the description that we're getting about Apollos. Later on, we will learn that Apollos became well-known. God began to use Apollos. This dude was sharp in the way he was dissecting the scriptures. The Apostle Paul was good, but this dude probably was a little bit better at dissecting the scriptures. 
I mean, the way God began to use Apollos, because in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. At the end of the day, who is the glory to? The Lord. We all work together in this. And so keep in mind who this Apollos is. It's the introduction to him. Now, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being firm in his spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now, it says that he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So more than likely, be reminded that John had disciples that were uh, after him, right? That were uh, from him. And so John came preaching repentance, right? So John came preaching uh, uh, a message about repentance, about Jesus then being the Messiah. He was, you know, pointing people, the, the Israelites, back to Jesus. And so more than likely what's taking place here is that Apollos was fully aware, like then, okay, Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. This was going on. Old Testament, because back then, that's what they had. The Old Testament then speaks about Jesus. And so he was accurately teaching those things. Now, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and guess who's there? Priscilla and Achilla. And they heard him. But there was something that they heard that was kind of missing. And they took him aside and explained to him. Now follow with me because this is what I want to read through this part of the text. Is that they took him to the side and began to explain to him. Apollos was already becoming well known around there. And I'm talking about this must have been a sharp teacher just teaching the word of God. And here comes Apollos and Achilles. What? You're going to have to talk to him. You know, I know he's teaching about Jesus, but there's something that you know that still needs to. The text doesn't show us exactly what, what, what needed to be sharpened up, but there was something that still needed to be sharpened up. But Apollos and Achilles took it upon themselves to talk to him and put him to the side. Not to shame him in front of the people, but to put him to the side. And what I see here is a beautiful heart of what a culture of discipleship looks like. Because on one end, you have a teachable spirit by one. And on the other one, you have that kind of heart that is willing to go in there and teach somebody. Because a lot of times, like, oh, well, they'll get it by themselves. But you just don't really care it. But Apollos and Achilles took the time to put them to the side. But Apollos could have responded in a negative way. The last time someone corrected you about something, how did you take it? The last time someone was trying to tell you something about the scriptures, how did you take it? You see, we see Apollos having a teachable spirit. Let's, let's get into the Word of God. Let's see what the Word of God has to say about this. Let's study the Scriptures together. He says that they put Him to the side. And as they put Him to the side, they began to explain to Him the way of God more accurately. 
They were zoning in like, hey, you know what, Paul is like, hey, I know you got this part, but let me just share with you a little bit more on this part. And so as part of a, a discipleship culture is that you and I must be teachable. We can't say that we know it all because this guy was an eloquent man. This dude was a, a, a competent man in the scriptures. If he had any reason to be like, hey, chill out, man. Like, I know my stuff. It was him. He could have said, like, hey, I know my word. Do you know your word? You know what it says in this verse? You know, like, normally we would get like that, huh? Get all defensive with it. But not Apollos. Apollos was willing to learn. Are we willing to learn? Or are we willing to teach those who are not walking in line with you? Maybe they're off in a certain area. Maybe they're misunderstanding a certain part of the text. Will we be willing to teach others? And so this is what we're seeing in this kind of culture of discipleship. We see that someone like Apollos, who was well known in the scriptures, didn't allow pride to kick in. But with a humble spirit, he learned. And someone like Apollos, and I mean like uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't allow pride to also uh, govern their hearts, but yet with a humble heart, they approached the situation and began to teach them. And so what we find then in the rest of the verses is that when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed again. What Paul was doing. Apollos was doing the same thing. He was going around strengthening the brethren. He was going around pouring into other brothers and sisters, teaching them the scriptures. And after that, it says, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures themselves. I mean, I could already imagine this guy. Knowing the word of God, and he's going to the text. Let me tell you what it says in Isaiah 53 about Jesus. Let me tell you what it says in Psalms 22 about Jesus. You know, I'm sure he already knew all of that. Like, he studied the scriptures, and he was going through. And so what we see here, though, family, is you and I are called to a life of discipleship. And there's going to be relationships that are going to be difficult, but God is calling us to tarry with that, to tarry in those situations, to continue to go in those situations, endure those moments of difficulty, because God's doing it for us. We are vessels that he does it for others. So God helps us to be patient. God helps us to continue to persevere. And at the same time, we're looking for those that are pouring into us. You and I can never get to a place where I don't need somebody to teach me anything. Apollos himself, you saw that. But we could either be in the kind of heart that Apollos had or the kind of heart that Achilla and, and Priscilla had, but at the same time, it is a life of a disciple, a culture of discipleship. And we've created that kind of opportunity for us here at Kittles with our missional communities that we gather together. These are perfect opportunities. This is a platform for discipleship to take place. Now, discipleship is not just about a one hour when you get together once out of the week. What we see here is discipleship is a lifetime, lifelong commitment. Man, we're living life with one another. 
we're getting to know each other. Ups and downs, and sometimes we're like, whoa, man, there's you know, serious what's going on. But we're learning to pray for each other. Nobody here is here to point the finger at someone with a finger of judgment. Judgment already fell upon somebody. That was Jesus. We're not here to judge one another. We're here to point each other back to the Lord Jesus. We all need and long for God. So with that said then, family, is can you think about today who is that that is speaking to your mind? Who are you discipling and who's discipling you? Keep that in mind because all of us need from the Lord. And God puts people in our path for those very reasons. Our heads. Gracious Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you allowed us this time to search your word. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search our hearts. Uh, that you would remind us of the promises of God that guide you are faith. Even in our unfaithfulness, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. We thank you, God. We thank you, King. We pray in Jesus' name that today, Lord, you would, you would minister to each one of us, reminding us, Lord, that you are for us. And you've called us for such a time as this. And so I pray, Lord, that in those seasons of difficulty, when hardship comes, when tribulations come, that we will continue to cling to the promises of God. We thank you, O oh God, in Jesus' name.